Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Continuing our study of the Millennial Kingdom. You remember last week we looked at uh, the reason for the Millennial Kingdom and the basic reason for the millennial kingdom is to display the faithfulness of God. The millennial kingdom will be a time that God will fulfill his covenants and promises that he has made to the Lord Jesus, to the nation of Israel, and to Christians. Tonight we're going to look at the citizens of the millennial kingdom. Who will be in the millennial kingdom? Who will comprise the millennial kingdom. Well, first of all, Christ Jesus himself will be the king of the millennial kingdom. Now, there are seven things I want to tell you about Jesus and his kingship during the millennial kingdom. First of all, King Jesus will have complete dominion of the world. He'll have complete dominion of the world. I provided you with some scriptures so we could move more quickly through them. Uh, but you remember over in Daniel, even last week, we looked at Daniel chapter 7, and we saw in verses 13 and 14 uh, this truth about Christ being the one who rules during the millennial kingdom. Everybody got your scriptures there? Okay don't have one, come get one so that you can follow along. Daniel said, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. Notice the totality of that. All peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And in the interpretation of this vision, we see in verse 27, then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven, again, totality, will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Jesus will have complete dominion of the whole world during the millennial kingdom. Now, who was first given dominion over the world? Adam was. All right. You remember over in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God told him to rule over the world, to subdue it, to replenish. But Adam lost that dominion when he sinned. He lost it because of his disobedience. Now, since Jesus was sinless and he manifested perfect obedience unto God, he will regain the dominion over the world that Adam lost. Now, the Antichrist did not have total dominion during the tribulation time. He was the ruler of a one-world government, and most of the world was under his 
dominion and his control, but that wasn't absolute. There were Christians who were not under his control, and there were isolated hamlets and pockets that he was not in control of. Now look over in Psalm 24. I believe we have a psalm that looks toward the millennial kingdom. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is a generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates. Can't you just see this being proclaimed during the millennial kingdom? And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So I think that psalm not only had an application for the nation of Israel when it was written, but I think it has a future application as we look to the millennial kingdom when King Jesus will have absolute dominion. Secondly, King Jesus will have absolute power and authority to govern during the millennial kingdom. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, we read, A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice, and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And though these words were spoken by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus came the first time, nevertheless, they speak to his second coming and to his kingdom rule during the millennial kingdom. They apply, as you can see clearly, to that time that age, as his throne will increase and he will uphold it with justice and righteousness, he will announce God's will and law through the millennial age. In Isaiah chapter 33, beginning with verse 17, we see that he is called our lawgiver. It says there, your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They will behold a far distant land. Your heart will meditate on terror. Where is he who counts? Where is he who weighs? Where is he who counts the towers? You will no longer see a fierce people, a people of unintelligible speech which no one comprehends, of a stammering tongue which no one understands. Look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feast. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, an undisturbed habitation, a tent which will not be folded. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its cords be torn apart. But there the majestic one, the Lord, 
will be for us a place of rivers and wide canals on which no boat with oars will go and on which no mighty ship will pass. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. During the millennial kingdom, there'll be no Congress. There'll be no parliaments to make laws that favor certain groups. There'll be no lobbyists to uh, try to sway the laws, no bribes. Simply King Jesus will be the lawgiver, and he will make righteous laws. He will give laws that will be just for all. He will speak the law, and it will be as he has spoken. He will have absolute power and authority to govern during the millennial kingdom. Number three, King Jesus will also be the rewarder of the saints. As we saw and as we see in Isaiah 62, 11, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Lo, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called sought out, a city not forsaken. So he will bring his rewards and he will reward his people, his saints. Uh, probably not only at the great, uh, at the, the judgment seat of Christ, at the bame of Christ, but during the millennial kingdom, I believe he will probably continue to dispense wards, rewards to his people. Number four, King Jesus will also ju- be the judge in the millennial kingdom, as we saw already in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, He will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples, and they will hammer their swords to plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. So he will be the judge, and he will be the one who will bring the decisions, and those decisions will be final. As you pick up in the beginning of that chapter 2 of Isaiah, you catch even the grandeur of, of this event. The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, now it will come about in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. Remember, we saw that that uh, when Christ comes back, there's going to be a, a change in the topology of the of the world and of the Middle East. That the plains of the hills are going to be flattened, and Jerusalem is going to rise up. And it's going to be above everything. Its elevation will be clearly seen. And rivers are going to come out from under Jerusalem and flow to the Mediterranean Sea and, and to the Dead Sea and bring forth fruit and life. And it says here, and, he, and will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. He's talking about Jerusalem. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations. There'll be no Supreme Courts. There'll be no appellate courts. Jesus is a judge. And his decision is final. On the issues of major questions, Christ will make the final decision. He'll make judgments between nations. There'll be no war. He will settle all the disputes. Now, won't it be great <laughs> to have all the, the decisions of, of the 
global affairs of nations made by Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the all-wise God. And that's going to be a blessing. That shows you some of the greatness of the millennial kingdom. Also, Jesus will be our shepherd in Isaiah 40, beginning with verse 9. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arms he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead the nursing ewes. How about that? He will be our lamb. He will carry us. He will lead us with his tender care. His arms will surround us in love. Imagine what it will be like to have Jesus put his arms around you. In crisis, we desire to feel God's love in his presence Although sometimes, you know, it just you just can't sense it. But in the millennial kingdom, he will be there, and he'll be there to take you up in his arms as a shepherd does his lambs, and he will gently lead us. Next, King Jesus will be the teacher in the millennial kingdom. As we even see in the verses we saw before, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, and many people will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You see, Jesus' headquarters will be in Jerusalem, in the temple there on Mount Zion, and he will be there to answer all questions. He will be there to teach. Now, I think we as glorified saints will already have our knowledge perfected, but I think there will be those there who are humans, and they will want to be taught, and they will want to learn, and Jesus will be willing to be there and to teach them His ways and His truth. Number seven, King Jesus will be our object of worship. He will be our object of worship. Look over in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 16 through 19. Then it will come about that anyone who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the feast of booths. And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. If the family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague which, with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. So what we see is there's going to be a reinstitution of some of the feast that Jerusalem observed during the Old Testament days. Not all of the feasts are mentioned, but the Feast of Passover is put together with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, what will be the reason for, once again, reinstituting these feasts? Well, they will not be the same as the reasons in the Old Testament, 
But rather, I think the feast of the Passover and the unleavened bread will be symbolic of the national cleansing and redemption of the nation of Israel. It will be a continual reminder. It will be symbolic in nature. And then the Feast of Tabernacle or the Feast of Booths will be a feast to celebrate Israel's new position in the Millennial Kingdom. You remember Israel will be brought back. Each of the tribes will be assigned different portions of, of the Holy Land. And I think the Feast of, of Booths will be a celebration of their position in the Millennial Kingdom. Now notice those who do not participate will have no rain on them. And you say, well, who's going to be there that's not going to participate? Well, there will be some humans there, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. But remember, when we get there, this passage doesn't make sense if it's only glorified saints there. I mean, we as glorified saints don't have a sin nature. We're not going to sin, so it wouldn't be any question we'd want to go up and worship. There'd be no question about it that we would want to fulfill these feasts. So there's got to be some people in the kingdom who might not want to, and therefore they have got to be encouraged to such an extent that if you don't go, this is what's going to happen to you. This curse of no rain will come upon you. So the feast, some of the feasts are going to be revived, and obviously the object of the worship will be the Lord Jesus. But I want you to know also the sacrificial system is going to be revived in some measure. Here we see in Ezekiel chapter 45, verse 17, it shall be the prince part to provide the burnt offerings, that's David, the grain offerings and the drink offerings at the feast, and on the new moons and on the Sabbaths, at all the appointed feasts of the house of Israel, he shall provide the sin offering, the grain offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings to make atonement for the house of Israel. And again, we see in Ezekiel 45, verse 21, the mention of the feast. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, you shall have the Passover, a feast of seven days. Unleavened bread shall be eaten. Now, this brings up all kind of questions. We don't have sacrifices now because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, right? We don't observe sacrifices. We don't need to. Well, why is it then that they're going to be reinstituted, some of the sacrifices, in the millennial kingdom? Well, the purpose of the sacrifices in the Old Testament were to point toward coming of the ultimate sacrifice, right? It was the ultimate sacrifice and pointing toward it. It wasn't the the blood of bulls and goats that forgave sin. (laughs) It couldn't do it. But it pointed toward the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Well, what the sacrifices in the millennial kingdom are going to do is they're going to point back as a memorial to the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. It may be because the millennial kingdom is going to be such a perfect environment where there will be practically no sin and actions observed that the tendency will be to forget the importance of the death of Christ, to forget the ultimate supreme price that he paid for the sins of his people. And so by the offering of these sacrifices, as people see these animals killed because as a reminder of what Christ paid, that he gave his life, 
it will help remember and be a memorial to the price of sin and what it cost our Lord to redeem us and to redeem his people. And so these sacrifices are not going to be for the purpose of, of bringing forgiveness. The Old Testament sacrifices didn't do that either. But they'll be for the purpose of a memorial, a remembrance. Now, we're not going to have the Passover. Well, excuse me. We're not going to have the Lord's Supper. Remember, Paul said we will observe the Lord's Supper until Jesus returns. See, it's to remind us. It's to look forward to his coming. So the Lord's Supper is going to be stopped in the millennial kingdom, but you will have the Passover and the unleavened bread and the Feast of Booths. The Lord's Supper will be stopped, but there will be the reinstitution of animal sacrifices as a memorial to the death of Jesus Christ. And he was the ultimate sacrifice as a reminder of the price that he paid to redeem his people. Uh, that speaks of Christ in his relationship to the millennial kingdom. Now, who else is going to be in the millennial kingdom? There will be Christians and believers of all ages. Remember that when Christ returns, all those who have died in Christ will be resurrected. Remember? Those who died in the Old Testament, who looked forward to the coming of Christ, and because they believed that he, the Messiah was coming, they were declared as righteous in God's sight. They will be resurrected when Christ returns. Those who are living when Christ returned will be transformed, remember, in the twinkling of an eye and caught up in the sky with Christ. Those who have died during the tribulation will be resurrected and have glorified bodies as well. And we see this in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. All these groups are mentioned. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I also saw the souls of those that had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and did not receive the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So all believers, all Christians of all ages will be ruling and reigning with Christ during the millennial kingdom. And next week we'll look at more detail. What will you be doing during the millennial kingdom? I know you're wondering that. You're thinking, well, what am I going to be doing? Am I just going to be laying back and eating grapes and singing songs? What are we going to be doing? Next week we'll look at that in more detail. But I want you to know you will be there as a Christian, as a believer, and you will be there in your glorified body, sinless, supernatural. You'll be able to move at the speed of light. You want to talk to Jesus? You'd be over in Jerusalem that quick. That's right. Go through walls. It's going to be marvelous, marvelous. So Jesus Christ will be there. He'll be the king. Christians and believers of all ages will be there. Also, we will have humans, unbelieving humans, will be in the millennial kingdom. I believe those who have helped Christians during the tribulation. Now remember, not all of humanity was killed when Jesus returned. It was only those armies that had gathered around the Valley of Megiddo, those who had converged on the Middle East, 
It was those armies and their kings who were destroyed when Christ returned. Others who were other places in the world were not destroyed. And these are the ones, those who have been sympathetic and had helped the Christians during the millennial kingdom, I believe these will be allowed to come into the millennial kingdom. And they're not saved. It's like they're getting a thousand-year reprieve before they have to face the great white throne of judgment. Now, let me give you why I believe that there will be unbelieving humans in the millennial kingdom. First, the Bible says that Christ will rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. And it says, And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Why would Christ need to rule Christians with a rod of iron? Now, the phrase rod of iron is symbolic of authority and power and force. You know, even a shepherd doesn't have a staff of iron. It's of wood. But when you have to rule with a rod of iron, that is a forceful rule. That means you are speaking softly and carrying a big stick. And so the very fact that it says that Jesus will rule the nations with a rod of iron tells me there has to be humans, unbelieving humans, in the millennial kingdom. I mean, we'll be in glorified, sinless bodies. There would be no need for Christ to rule us by force. We will want to serve Him. We will only want to do what is right. We've left the old sin nature back in the grave. It will not be a part of our resurrected body. So He would have no reason to rule us with a rod of iron. Secondly, not everyone in the world is killed at Armageddon. Again, Revelation 19, verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. Here the armies have gathered, but not everyone is killed at the second coming. And some of those are those that have helped Christians during the tribulation, and I think they will be allowed to come in. Third reason I believe there will be humans in the millennial kingdom is after the thousand years, Satan will be released and he will deceive the nations and they will gather to wage war against Christ. Chapter 20 of Revelation, verses 7 and 8. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So when Satan is released from his prison house after the thousand years, he's going to go out and he's going to deceive the nations and they're going to rebel with him against Christ and the saints. Again, glorified saints who have sinless bodies would not do this. We would not rebel against Christ. 
Satan could not deceive us who have glorified minds and bodies whose knowledge has been made perfect. He couldn't do that. It has to be humans and unbelievers. Notice also it says their number will be as the sand. Their number will be as the sand. Innumerable is what he's talking about. There will be many of them. Not just a few, but many. Like the sand of the sea. As glorified bodies, we will not have children. Remember Jesus talks about that in the resurrection that we're like angels and there'll be no procreation. So there will be no children born from us who have glorified bodies who belong to Christ. But there will be children born to the humans who are living during the millennial kingdom. And it will be such a perfect environment where disease will be almost totally eradicated that the lifespan will be much greater than it is now. And the mortality rate will be very, very, very low. Uh, and so there will be a multitude of children born to the humans who are living during this time. And so it is those people, the humans, who will be deceived and will rebel against Christ when Satan is released. The fourth reason, and I've already touched on this. The Bible says the numbers are like the sand of the seashore, and therefore they must come from humans who are having children. Those of us who have glorified bodies will not procreate during the millennial kingdom. And so this necessitates that there must be humans there who can have these children. Again, this is not salvation. It is only a thousand-year reprieve. Can someone get saved during the millennial kingdom, you might ask? And my answer to that is no. Once Christ returns, the door of salvation has closed. Number one, salvation comes through faith. There is no faith necessary in the millennial kingdom because Christ in His glorified state is right there. Faith is the assurance of things not seen. Well, you'll be able to see Christ in His fullness in his glory you know, even when he came the first time his his glory was veiled in humanity and it took a measure of faith to believe that he was the christ but when he comes back his glory will be revealed and there will take no faith at that point to believe he is the christ the son of god and so salvation will not be a possibility for those humans who are allowed to come into the millennial kingdom or those who are born during the millennial kingdom. Now, what does it show us about the human heart? It shows us that even though these humans have lived in an almost perfect environment, almost as perfect as a Garden of Eden, where they have seen nothing but the benevolences and love of God, when given the opportunity... To rebel against Him, they do it. It shows that God is forever just in condemning the unrighteous and Christ rejecting to an eternity in hell. Because these humans have had every advantage, um, every advantage imaginable. They have had been able to sit at the feet of Jesus and be taught by Him in His glorified form. We saw that. They've seen Him and witnessed His law-giving 
grace and love, His provisions for them. And yet, when given the opportunity to rebel, to go their own way, to reject Him, they do it. They do it. It is the greatest display of the depravity of the human heart that history will ever see. And that is one of the primary reasons I believe that humans are allowed to come into the kingdom is to show for all of eternity the human heart is evil and wicked and seeks its own way and that God is totally just and righteous to punish the Christ rejecting. Therefore, I believe those in the millennial kingdom will be Christ, Christians, believers of all ages, and unbelievers.